light of the fact that we believe that um, the church is supposed to be a place of transformation, and I think sometimes uh, when people who don't affirm this particular faith see the church as being very co-opted into the culture, whatever cultural form of Christianity that might happen to be, uh, they miss maybe seeing uh, Jesus and his people in ways that are surprising, um, in ways that are beautiful, in ways that are compelling, in ways that are not accusatory or angry or fearful or anxious, but instead are, are filled with hopefulness and, and the extension of grace and compassion and service and radical hospitality in our culture, in our community. And we're meant to be a contrast to the world. No matter what culture this faith has been planted in, whether it was the first century or anything in between, whatever it was the easier way for people's lives to slip into, conforming to, the church is always supposed to not be like that. Therefore, it stands out. Often, it is persecuted in that situation. For example, in the early uh, church, those who did not name Caesar as Lord, but instead named Jesus as Lord, risked their lives. And still around the world, parts of the world, it's not what Christians necessarily do, it's what they refuse to do um, that gets us into trouble sometimes. Uh, we are seen as a threat because we don't follow the commands of the kings of this earth. We follow one king, um, even into death if necessary. That sounds great. Isn't that a cheery message for Sunday morning? I love, Christianity just sounds wonderful. I want to sign up for that. Where do I sign up? Well, then the seat back's in front of you. Um, it, but, it, but it is a very, very serious thing uh, to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he said, count the cost. Because not only will you experience incredible joy, you will experience what it means to be transformed, which really, he says, is dying to yourself, to your own opinions, your own attitudes, uh, and, and let him start to change you, which is not necessarily very easy. But you're in good company, because we're all called to do this together. We can help support one another in that. Um, and this morning, we're talking about prayer. Um, out of all the things we've been doing, I thought prayer would be an important one to, to touch on. Um, and I'm gonna start by asking, who here has seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Yeah, look, it's pretty, pretty fun, isn't it? It's not got a very good rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, that website, but I think it's brilliant. Um, and really, it's a story about this guy who is played by Jim Carrey, and he is an anchorman at a news station, and he's very jealous of, of all kinds of people, very bitter, and things don't turn out well for him. He, he doesn't get the promotion that he's waiting for, hoping for. And he gets really mad at God. He's like, oh, God, you know, why are you doing this to me? So... Uh, God, a.k.a. Morgan Freeman, of course, he is God in all the films, right? Uh, he has that kind of lovely voice, you know? Um, he, he comes and basically says, hey, buddy, you think you can do a better job? Like, I'm gonna give you the power to be God then. Just, you know, see how that goes. Um, but he only gets it for a limited area of the, of the world. It's only the, the Buffalo and surrounding neighborhoods kind of thing. So a lot of people there to be responsible for, but not the whole world. It's a kind of a starter God role. And... Um, he starts off, of course, completely abusing his powers, but then he starts to kind of uh, figure out that maybe it's not as easy as, as he thought it would be. Um, so we're gonna watch a little clip, just, uh, this is about prayer. He's, he's now the recipient of all these people's prayer requests. Let's see how he handles it. Well, you took the job, Bruce, so. Right. Just when you start thinking about 
uh, what prayer would be and, and all the kind of complexity of, complexities of it, it's just interesting that the solution would just say yes to everyone's prayers, right? Well, it, it turns out the next bit is a complete disaster because, for example, everyone who prayed that they were winning the lottery did indeed win the lottery. So uh, they had to split all the winnings between each other, which everyone's getting like a dollar each, and so there's a riot, and it's just a mess. But it really kind of, uh, if, you, if you watch that film, it does raise some questions I think we all kind of have of how prayer works. What is prayer all about? Um, it's kind of complicated, and I think it is true for us when we, when we sit and sort of ponder what prayer is, what it's placed in, in our lives, what it actually does, how best to engage it then sort of conundrums and paradoxes and seeming contradictions can start to arise in our minds as we try and put together all the pieces uh, uh, to make sense of prayer. For example, if God is all-knowing uh, and pre-knows and, and do our prayers really count for anything? If he's in complete control, he's sovereign? If scripture says God answers prayer um, and sometimes we pray for, for people with, with health issues and they, they don't resolve, is, it continues to persist, what's that all about? Um, those are real questions, they're very practical. Does prayer really work? Is a question we asked, does prayer really work? In fact, scientists have kind of done experiments and things, you know, about healing and things, and, and, and they're like, well, prayer doesn't really seem to make a big difference to the outcomes of certain illnesses and things like that. Uh, that seems very um, mechanistic, and, and really that's not the heart of prayer. Uh, I can't get into in 30 to 40 minutes, perhaps 41 minutes, um, the whole concept of prayer, it's a, it's a huge subject, um, very much because it is the primary place of contact with a transcendent God. <laughs> um, you know, out of all these things where you go think about human free will and, and God's sovereignty, all these kind of things, this is kind of the point at which these two worlds somewhat meet, and so to, to fully be able to understand, categorize, to lay out A, B, C, D, it's probably gonna be very difficult um, if we believe that, that, that this is the kind of God, of eternal God that we, we can connect with through this. Um, so I'd encourage you to talk with others about this subject and maybe get some resources. There are a lot of fairly satisfying answers to some of the questions that, that maybe get somewhat closer to giving us some answers. So this morning I just wanna cover some basics. I think sometimes also in prayer we, we, we uh, get caught up in all the complexities and lose the simplicity that can act as just a basic foundation as we continue to seek knowledge about what this is, place should be in our lives. And I think a good place to start maybe before we think about what prayer is, is to think about what prayer is not or should not be. The first thing is prayer is not a formula or a magic spell. There's no rabbit in the hat that you wave the prayer wand and voila, Hocus Pocus, I searched for Hocus Pocus images and it was just that movie. That, that's such a dumb movie. So uh, abracadabra, there we go. Um, prayer is not a formality, just uh, the definition, the requirement of rule, custom, etiquette, etc. So it's just like, well, I'm a Christian, so prayer is just a, form, it's a formality, not much you know, life to it, not much meaning, but it's just something, I do that because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Um, prayer is not a duty or should not just be a duty, a chore to be done every day, a box to be checked off, doing your religious duty. Prayer is not a verbal appetizer, right? Before meals, a little appetizing word uh, on the same level as pass the salt, please. When we were kids in school in, in Scotland, like 
every single mealtime at school, at school we'd say, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. And I believe it did take a miracle for us to be truly thankful about the food we were served uh, in the 80s and 70s in Scotland. But it is not just something just to be a precursory thing to put in the front of a meal. Um, prayer is not a parachute. You know, God is a savior, but prayer is not simply meant to be a parachute when our lives go in free fall uh, and we pray that the parachute won't fail. Uh, and prayer is most definitely not a heavenly shopping cart, like online, where I've talked, joked about, you know, when I get a little shopping, you know, uh, what's the word, I wanna, uh, retail therapy, like go get a whole bunch of stuff on Amazon, fill the cart, and then like delete it all. Just don't buy it. But it almost feels like you did, kinda. It's like sniffing a donut. You don't get the calories, but you get a little bit of the joy. But you know, sometimes people sort of treat prayer like it's a, it's a heavenly shopping cart, you know, and we just like, my, a laundry list of things that I want. Um, so, so to get to somewhat what prayer might be, um, let's look at some statistics. There's an organization by the name of the Pew Research Center who do studies on all kinds of subjects of, of culture and uh, society and religion. And, and they came up in 2014 with some answers about prayer in America. And they said that 55% of adults in America pray at least daily. So more than half people uh, admit in this survey to have to praying at least daily. That's 135 million people at that point. It's a lot of prayer. That's a lot of post-it notes or filing cabinets or whatever you want to use. Uh, 16% admitted to praying at least weekly, 6% monthly. 23, seldom or never, but that also includes seldom. They don't break those things out. So that's an awful lot of people in America, not five years ago, uh, confessing that, that prayer is a regular part of their lives. It seems that it's maybe somewhat endemic to the human race, this thing we call prayer. That people do this. <laughs> um, even they did a test of people who self-identify as nuns, and that's not those who have habits. Um, it's people, N-O-N-E-S, who have confessed no affiliation to any religious group whatsoever. Uh, there's not interest, it's not part of their lives. They said 38% of those who describe themselves in that way admitted to engaging in prayer at least daily, weekly, or monthly. Seems to be quite prevalent in life, in America at least, and probably around the world, because every major religion in the world involves prayer to some extent. It's part of every religious uh, um, organization has some aspect of prayer involved. Last week, my dear friend uh, uh, shared uh, on the, up here, and uh, he's a Fuzz Rana, he's a scientist uh, and a scholar, uh, reasons to believe, and he talked about what it means to be human, and the, particularly the aspect of, of the, the truth or the concept that, that we are made in God's image, that we're image bearers of God, what implications does that have for human beings? And he mentioned the fact that this creational fact, this or, origin of human beings in connection with a creator who's made us in his image uh, causes us to have certain impulses or characteristics that, that are human uh, that, that show that we, like we have God's fingerprints all over us. Our lives every day, like they echo our beginnings. And he referred to the human drive to be creative, to be like co-creators. God is creative, therefore those made in his image have this creative drive. 
And he, he talked about his desire to, to progress, to move forward, to have new ideas. And he talked in the area of science, where many things uh, in the area of biotechnology, he said, uh, are, are improving this world and improving the ability of human beings to be healthy and um, in many ways. Um, and hopefully not just a whole bunch of dinosaur, poultry, crossbreeds terrorizing our neighborhoods. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, because you weren't here last week, I just got a quick piece of advice. If you see one of these coming towards you, uh, and you remember in Jurassic Park that if you stand still, they can't see you. Fuzz told us they can see you, so run really fast away from it, because if you stand still, it will only make its job of eating you easier. Okay? So you don't think you can't learn something useful in church on Sunday mornings. That duck is particularly scary. It's going to be giving me nightmares for days. Dino duck. Well, he also mentioned the arts, the artistic process. When someone paints a picture or creates a song, there is something within them that they're trying to express that is almost inexpressible. It's something happening within them, some longing that he believes is this, is this to do with this echo of God in the creation of our image in him uh, and our, also our brokenness, our, our, our separation in some way from that perfection. So in creating art, it seems like this longing of human beings to, to express something that, that says something about our human longing for the imperfect to find perfection you know, there's no final product. If you're an artist or a musician, there's never the final perfect song. There's always this drive to express more perfectly that which you're trying to say. And many theologians believe that this is something about the longings we have that are deeply human and deeply spiritual. And they, they pop up all over the place in the things that we create. And it's almost like there's a world we can imagine it should be, but we see the world it is, and we sing, and we paint, and we write poems, and all of those things, we make dances about that predicament. And then others watch them, and they resonate with it, and say, that's my human story too. Um, the weak straining toward the secure, the broken limping toward wholeness and healing, like the orphan seeking a home to feel at rest, Again, this is the first point to consider that prayer is a deeply human act. It is a thoroughly and deeply human act. I think it's, uh, even though the Bible talks about the trees clapping their hands with joy and singing praises, there's something about being human that this prayer is so un uniquely and deeply human. In Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, chapter three, there was a man who some say was Solomon, but he's just called the teacher, the wise teacher. And he writes that God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Beauty in its time. Beauty is elusive. That's this quality that we, we recognize and we long for. But our timing is often off. We have unmet longings. He says we have eternity in our hearts. That's a crazy thing. Eternity in our hearts. These frail, mortal, broken hearts. And eternity has been somehow placed in there. There's this um, common space where the things meet. And it, it leads us to long for something that we, we hope for but we don't currently see. C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, he wrote, if I find in myself a desire 
which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And the writer says, no one can fathom what God has done. No one can fathom. From beginning to end, we can't fathom. We sense it. We feel it. We cry out to it at times in the unfairness and the brokenness and the mystery of life, but we can't figure it out. We are curious and and we long to know and to connect. Paul, the apostle, went to Greece on his travels. We did Acts and, and we read about this. And he went to the place where the philosophers gathered every day to talk about these kinds of things. It's always been that way, people talking about from the first uh, Neanderthal who, who said, grunt, 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 which meant, what is life really about? Um, and look, I made this thing I'm calling a wheel, right? But um, from the beginning, people have been exploring these things. So these philosophers gathered all the time to talk about these things. And Paul is wandering around all their shrines and he sees one that says to an unknown God. And he sees this is an opportunity to talk into this conundrum these people find themselves in because I too have been in that situation and I have found this way of connecting with what I've longed for all of my life. And so he comes to them and says, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That which you are experiencing, you are ignorant of but there's a worship coming out of you in some way and you're trying to play, find a place where it fits which is to find the, 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 the satisfaction that you crave and he says about, the God, about God, the God who made the world and everything in it, including you and me, is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This presence, this sustaining, life-giving presence of God in this world. And from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. There's a hand at work here somewhere that we perceive but don't see. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. We would seek him, reach out for him and find him This seems like the impulse of what prayer seeks to do. So prayer is just deeply human, it seems. Worldwide, how do you say God's dead or religion's dying, we're gonna become, the more progress we make in electronics and technology, the less there'll be a need for God. And it seems actually in our day of wonderful inventions, people are more God hungry than they ever were. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. So here's the thing though, it may be deeply ingrained in us, but the second point is prayer may be natural to humans, but it doesn't come naturally to us. Uh, There are apparently some things to learn about prayer. The disciples experiencing this situation, they've been with Jesus, they had given up their lives that they were living and they were following him as a teacher and thankfully they asked the question on our behalf the question of what is prayer? Teach us how to pray. They perceived somehow that what they were doing required instruction to know what this should play in their lives. They'd all been through formality and duty, I'm sure, being part of that religious system, which in many ways had become a kind of um, outward uh, behavior 
which even the highest rulers and leaders of that religion were told, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look beautifully white. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You've lost justice and mercy and these more important things. So they asked Jesus this question. Uh, and I'm gonna do something. Would anyone feel like reading this morning? Reading this text? Brian. Brian was our drummer today. Thank you very much, Brian. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Thank you. You notice uh, when he was reading that, did you have any impulses to add words? Because you've been taught a fuller version of this, right? You say, uh, your kingdom come. Right? You know, it's the fir first service I had someone read it, and, and they actually added a couple of bits just by sheer habit, because they've lived a lot longer than you, Brian, so it's been a, a longer time. <clears throat> I'm not going to reveal your age, but they're older than you. Or their age. I'm not going to reveal their age. Dig the hole deeper, Grant. Um, it was Barb Stallmacher, and she's uh... So they come and they ask this question. Um, they were aware of the reality of prayer among their communities, and they were also aware that there was different versions of this, that John's disciples were taught by John to pray in a certain way. And so they come wisely <clears throat> to the one who is revealing himself to be something completely unique, never seen before in their communities or on this earth. And they come and ask, how should we pray? So it's kind of, you could ask people that, you know, they ask that question now, uh, what, 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 how should I pray? <clears throat> There'll be many answers you could get. And it's interesting that it seems really clear that when they ask Jesus, he doesn't, he's not talking like it's an emotional thing that just happens, you know, when you're in need or anything like that but rather there's deep purpose and intention. It's very clear that he wants to communicate certain things as a foundation about prayer. He doesn't just say, you know, prayer is just simply chatting with God, so just do that. There's nothing wrong with simply chatting with God. But, but there's something very specific he wants to say. Um, last week, a bunch of us from Song went hiking. Uh, it was, uh, what's the canyon again? Marshall Canyon. I'm still hurting uh, from that. And... Um, it was awesome, really great to be out and about. I met this really nice chap called Dan, who has recently moved to the area. He worships at Pomona, uh, Pomona uh, Purpose Church. And uh, in our conversation, I discovered that he served for many years in the army, uh, still has some connection to the military. But he's actually now doing school, doing, getting a counseling degree, because he wants to help uh, ex-servicemen, veterans, with, uh, who've, who've been kind of damaged by their experiences, which is amazing. But we're talking, and he spent a lot of time as a mechanic in the army. Um, but I can't remember how the subject came up, but, but he talked about memorization or something like that, and he said he had to memorize all these different creeds. Even being a mechanic, he had to memorize things that were important. Uh, he actually, uh, there was one he found particularly hard to memorize, and the only way he could remember it and recite it was in a strong Russian accent. So he recounted a time when his commanding officer asked him to recite this creed, and he, he started, and the guy, was, the guy actually had to leave the room at one point to go and laugh, come back in again. But... Um, 
But I was thinking about this thing, you know, what Jesus does, it's called the Lord's Prayer often, but really it's the disciples' prayer. But it's very specific. There is another version in Matthew, which is why you guys were filling in the blanks. And then there's another version which we add arms and legs to, which is the one we usually say with, for thine is the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's not actually in the scripture. But both these versions, they're very clear and, and uh, precise about what they are trying to say. It's almost like a creed. It's almost like, uh, because why do they do that in the army? Why would they have these men and women learn by memory these certain things that are the most important things? It's because they are going to be part of a unit, and it needs to form a cohesive unit to be the most effective. They need to have a certain outlook on themselves and one another and the mission that they've been called to carry out. And they need to know it by heart so that they... Um, will react correctly uh, in any kind of time and, and they'll, res- they'll come from that place of knowledge. Like I, I learned to scuba dive with Rana. You know how many times we practiced the sign for, I can't breathe anymore, let me buddy breathe with you? A lot. Because when you're 100 feet below the ocean, you don't want to forget that one. This is important stuff. Jesus is saying this is how you should pray. Not this specific prayer necessarily, but this is how you should pray. This is how you should consider prayer, understand prayer. And so it's the way in which the disciples we discipled to pray and will form a certain kind of community on mission. So what are the, what's the content of what Jesus tells them in this that, that's important? What is it they need to know? There's kind of two areas. One is direction or orientation and one is purpose. And, and, the, and the orientation of the direction is vertical and horizontal. You've heard this many times that our relationship with God affects our relationship with others uh, and our relationship with others in many ways will tell us about our relationship with God, you know? If you, don't love, if you don't love your brother who you do see, how can you say you love the God that you, you, know, you don't see, right? So um, vertical th- and horizontal is all the way through scripture, but it's very, very clear in this, in this passage of how to pray. Father, Jesus referred to, his, to God as his father all the time, which was somewhat unique then. Uh, and now he's saying, you call him father too. My father and your father, hallowed be your name. That's other, that's, that's transcendent, that's above all. That's the name above all names over everything. Hallowed be your name. Horizontal. So we've got this vertical relationship going on. Horizontal, it's quite remarkable. If you think about how he asked to pray for daily sustenance, it's very clear that it says, and and the other one in Matthew says the same thing, uh, give us our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, plural. So the prayer, which involves me, involves everybody else as well, that I don't pray individually for my needs without consideration of the needs of the others around me. This is very communal very strongly a sense of community here. So your father, your father and, and one another gave us this day our daily bread, the community of believers. Vertical, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me. Even to say that recognizes that my track record is not perfect. And Christ comes to give us grace that we can get up in the morning free from condemnation or shame or guilt and step back into the fight again, into the growth, into the challenge that he gives us. But it says, forgive us our sins. And in the NIV, there's a horizontal here as well, as we also forgive anyone who sins against us. And the NIV has the same word for sin in both, but they're completely different words in the original language. The first one is very clearly, it's the, it's the a con- contravention of what God calls us to, his perfect 
path of walking. And we always dither and weave around those things, right? But we confess it and with gratitude, forgive our sins, Lord. Um, but the second one for the sins of others is more about indebtedness. It's not so much that they have contravened the way we think they should walk or whatever it is or in some way harmed us. It's them not owing us anything anymore. We forgive the, the indebtedness that they ever uh, incur against us. We forgive it. So it's very radical. God, forgive us our sins as we hold no one in indebtedness to us in this community. Vertical, your kingdom come. You're, I don't even know the full extent of the kingdom. That is, that's out there. But your kingdom come. I wish for it to come. And then Matthew's one adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here, my feet planted on the ground, I pray for this kingdom and I seek for it to be here with me now. And we've talked about the kingdom. This is the overarching theme of prayer for the disciple is the kingdom of God. It's all, it's the central core and the heart of it all. Your kingdom come, let it be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We've talked about the concept of now and not yet. So the kingdom of God is now. Jesus announced it. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully yet. And the kingdom is still to come in all of its richness to the world, all of its reconciliation, all of its saving power, all of its restoration. So in everything, we, we pray with our mindset on the coming kingdom. And we pray with a sense that it is here and now in our, in our place to, to, to live into that. So what is the kingdom? If we're praying, if our prayer life, prayer life should be marked by this coming kingdom and the sense that we are called to live into that now, here, today, well, it's a place of communion with God and others. It's the ultimate place of love God and love neighbor. And, and, and that is radical. So our prayers are about that. Give me peace with my neighbors. May I bring them joy. May I bring them hope. May I bring them grace. A place where we and others have all they need. That's generosity. Prayers for the kingdom involves uh, let my brothers and sisters have no need among us and open my heart to a generous attitude towards them, recognizing that the kingdom is coming, but it is also here. A place where we truly live lives free of guilt and shame. So, so we don't, we're not sin counters among one another. When someone, what a joy for someone to believe that you will accept them with all of their garbage. That's the kingdom. They don't need to be afraid. We talked on Thursday, our young adults thing we're doing in my house uh, about imposter syndrome. You heard of that? The belief that if people really knew how unintelligent, unskilled, otherwise weak you were, they would fire you or have nothing to do with you. And lots of people suffer from it, but it shouldn't be here. We should be able to be honest about who we are if the kingdom is being built here. And imagine people coming through these doors with so much garbage and so much baggage and so much difficult and messy stuff, much of what they've probably been responsible for, whatever, and they don't receive judgment from us because we've been forgiven. And they find that here. 
Our prayer should go into that, make me that kind of a person, make this this kind of place. A place where we release others from their indebtedness to us. You know, that's beautiful, that's powerful. A place where people of all types of cultures and tribes and nations and tongues uh, can become one in Christ as the barriers come down. But this is really hard stuff, guys, isn't it? Isn't it hard? They keep the uniqueness of their culture, but one in Christ, and we have to bear with one another's differences and love one another despite the things that are difficult and jarring and challenging. A place where we can find comfort from the trials and temptations that harass us daily because we are with people who are safe and we can trust them because their prayer life is all about being this kind of people, being this kind of community in light of what is coming. Who knows when? So we build here now a place like that and we comfort one another. And in so doing, this is the thing, these two things, the vertical and the horizontal of the kingdom of God, the vertical puts me on my face in humility because I do not know all that God has planned or all that he is doing. And the horizontal gets me back on my feet to serve and work and live and pray because he says that the kingdom is here now and we are to live into that in anticipation of what's to come. Because then I think we pray in line with the values of the kingdom, whatever that might be for us. If we think in a kingdom sense about our prayer lives, we have this imperfect already orientation towards prayer, but we tighten it up and we tune it in and we get serious about what we're praying about and for with one another and it's the kingdom. So the question is, say, does prayer work? Does prayer work? And I'll say, yes, prayer works, but that is the wrong question to ask. Because actually the word work in there should be in a statement. It's prayer is a work. Prayer is a work. It's the work not only of human beings. We've been given this call. As in the beginning, there was this unhindered communication that by the beauty and the glorification of how good God was, was meant to be the way. And now we in particular who have seen in Jesus something unique and valuable, worthwhile, to be desired, have been invited into this work to join with others building kingdom movement right here on earth, breaking down barriers and strongholds. That's warfare, man. I see that person or those people and they are being held in a dark place and I'm gonna pray with my brothers and sisters that they be released from that. That is a kingdom prayer I think God will answer if we're faithful to to pray it. So last night, I was really tired in the first service. I'm a little better now. I was gonna have a donut, but I thought I might get sugar rush and then halfway through just crash bad in this service. I went to bed at 2.30 this morning, just FYI. So that's one of your prayers, pray that Grant would go to bed earlier on Saturday nights, like a good boy, like his mother taught him to. It's a school night, Grant. But it was kind of a chance of a lifetime because 30 years ago, I went to see The Cure in Scotland, 30 years ago in July 1989, and I heard they were playing in Pasadena by the Rose Bowl this year, and I, and I had to go. Everything else be whatever, right? Um, and it was like all day, it was one o'clock. I got there at 12.30 with Ron and my wife and Sandra Dimas, who works at Reasons to Believe. She'd never seen them before. Um, and we spent, oh, it was blazing hot. You know, it actually gave me a real sympathy with people who don't have a place to cool down. Because we were just stuck outdoors all day long, and it was intense. But it was an amazing experience uh, to be with like 50,000 plus people singing these songs, and just the unity of that experience is quite powerful, you know? 
It's just a, it's a moment of joy and connection and community uh, celebrating this band and their music that has had so many meanings for so many people over so many years, you know? Um, and so many memories kind of popping up as the songs were played. And not only that, but I was able to meet with uh, uh, an old friend from Glasgow, his name is Kenny. He does sound for one of the bands that was playing. And just through the magic of Facebook, someone tagged him and said, Grant, old guitarist from Broccoli is at the show too, you should meet. So he said that thing, hey, we should meet. So we hung out for a bit. And it was great to hear a Glasgow accent. You know, there's something about that that makes everything's going to be okay when you hear someone saying, <laughs> all right, pal, that big man, how's it going? And so, but, so I spent the day yesterday doing this and, and I was around music and musicians and things and I was reflecting on the scene. I felt this familiar feeling creeping into my heart. And it's this, like it was that I missed that world. Like I missed that. There's something about being part of a movement of people working towards something with passion and energy and, and ex- kind of an exactitude about um, the songs and, and the, the set list and all that stuff that you pour your heart into. Uh, and even uh, for a while I was a guitar tech for a band and just making sure the guitars were perfectly in tune. That was my job. And that led to the musician being able to play his guitar and that led to this unity of experience of people just rejoicing in the noise that was being made and this fellowship of people together uh, just celebrating, jumping up and down, whatever it was, right? There's something amazing about that and I kind of miss it, I thought. And I, I realized that that's always been the way when I see bands. I haven't played for quite a long time and I, I kind of get this longing. Um, but then yesterday was interesting. I was just thinking about it and the feeling, and I actually thought it's way less strong than it used to be. Because you know something in your life, we often look back on times and you go like, well, that was a real time of camaraderie and fellowship and community, and it was for a real purpose. And it felt at the time like we were doing something really worthwhile, and it did have this kind of celebration kind of moment to it. All the work you did went into something great. And I thought, actually, it doesn't feel as strong right now. And I kind of wrestling in my mind about, like, why? And then it kind of dawned on me that I, I am part of a movement. I'm part of a movement. Like the punk rock thing was very much about seeing what was wrong in the world and saying, like, we, this, this needs to change. This is unjust. And so much of the kingdom of God is about justice and about the things that we kind of longed for. I mean, we had our own kinds of prayer. We had our songs which were calling out about the brokenness we saw. But we thought about, you know, how do we fix it? We didn't know. Um, and I thought the reason it's kind of dimmer, I thought, I am so privileged. And since being here especially, I've really felt this more and more, to be in a place where truly there are people who are taking up their instruments of work, whatever it might be, and they're bringing them. And much of that is in prayer. And that is really the place where we want to dial this up to be more uh, intentional about our prayer lives. Because we are a crew. We're like the road crew. We're out there and... We have these moments where we collectively, that what we bring has created something beautiful, like in, a sh- like in a, the best concert you've ever been to in your life, you know, like Barry Manilow or something like that. Yeah, dude. Kevin. He's a Barry Manilow fan. He's an interesting, I'm learning new things about him every day. But you know, I was thinking about like, but what are we aiming toward? What are we, ha- what is all this work for? It is for the, the day, the time, when all of this comes together, and the, and the time in between then and now is our time to work. We're not changing guitar strings or tuning them. We are serving, we are praying, we are working with Christ to see 
people's lives touched by his sublime presence and love, and it is a hard, hard work. You know, you work so hard sometimes in these things. People who do like Cirque du Soleil, all these stuff, they work so hard. But you know, anyone's ever been in a play? Like once the last night's done of the play, it's such a joy that you took the thing together and it, it, you don't know the joy you spread to other people, but like that's our work time now. And prayer is one of the most important things that we can do. Thinking of the vertical, the horizontal, thinking about the kingdom that we pray into in Jesus' name. And Jesus is the model for this. This is how he lived. Jesus didn't do prayer because it was a formality or a duty or a, a, a top hat with a magic wand or a heavenly shopping cart. He did it because it was breath and life and it was the center of his whole mission that he was communing with his father. So he's inviting now his disciples to say, this is how you should pray. This is how you should consider prayer. This is what prayer is for us. This is a weapon and this is also a force and it's a... It's a it is a net. I will make you fishers of men. And you pray into that. And women. But women are better swimmers, so it's harder to catch those with nets. So prayer is the work of the people of God. And through prayer, we speak out and we confirm and affirm our trust in his love and provision. And through prayer, we are being actually conformed to more and more that his image and intent for us in our prayer, our lives of prayer, our times with him and with one another. And then we breathe out the, we breathe in the presence of God and we breathe out that presence into our community through our actions and our speaking and our living, our coming in and our going out. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. So I told you everything there is to know about prayer in 30, 40 minutes, well, 35 minutes and 15 seconds. So now you're all experts. Now it's gonna get practical. There's a few things I would like to encourage us to do. Um, the first thing is, to, we are expanding our prayer. We are like a, what's called a prayer chain, right? Um, and it, it's been you know, kind of what you'd expect. You know, when someone has a need, then it was gone out, but it's been very limited. Not a lot of people have received this, this uh, communication. And we want to broaden it, and not just in terms of the reach it has in our community and our church, that more people will see this and hopefully pray for these things, but also in, in the way that, it, what does it mean to have a prayer chain? Because often it's things like, hey, Grant stayed up too late last night, uh, so maybe pray for him that he won't be exhausted for the sermon on Sunday morning, right? Or Grant fell off the platform and he's hurt his leg, please pray for healing so he can go to another Cure concert next week. Um, but we want to do things like this. Uh, we want to have an email come out saying, we believe God has placed on our hearts this particular direction, uh, uh, connection, whatever it might be. Would you pray into that? Because we think he wants us to achieve this. Would you pray that we have the guts to try it? Do you pray we'd be willing to take a risk with this? Do you pray that we would have the courage and strength and patience and faith to follow this through and not give up and not... Um, get discouraged? Would you pray with us? So those kind of things too. Then, So um, if you put your name on here, if you want to be part of this prayer effort, and I hope everyone, uh, if you have email or phone for texting, would want to do this. It's the connect cards and the seat backs. Um, put your name, 
Email, put the email thing, that will be these kind of email updates, which we're not, it's not gonna be every day, okay? You're not gonna be like bombarded with things from me, like, I got an itchy head, could you pray that that itchy head is better? You like, wash your hair. Um, <laughs> tea tree shampoo, recommended. The second part says phone. We're gonna have a, a text set up so that if something really happens that is quick, though just, we just need prayer immediately. And I know many people check their texts way more than they do their phone because it makes your pocket go And so put your phone number there if you want to be included on a text thing, just for, just for really quick you know, stuff that we need to pray for. Uh, for example, uh, you know, last week or so there was a lockdown at the school, that kind of thing. Our San Dimas High School, whom we, who we care about, is on lockdown. Pray for the teachers, pray for the students, pray for what's going on, pray for the, the people that are responding to it, that kind of thing. Um, so if you're willing to do this, fill this in and take it to the connection desk out there. Also, we've been asked to put a symbol of some kind on the bottom right corner, so we differentiate from the ones from guests. Um, so I put a little star, it's a Christmas star, because I can't wait till Christmas. But just some mark on the bottom right-hand side so we know these are cards for the prayer stuff. Does that make sense? Okay. We have books out there as resources for a lot of things we've been talking about this summer. Like I said, I can't explain everything about prayer in 40 minutes or so. So there's some great resources. And this is one of the best books I have read on the concept of unanswered prayer. It's called God on Mute. And uh, there's a copy out there. And there's a little card in there that says, start here. Uh, you'd have to purchase your own copy, but if you take that out, it explains some of the concepts about this book and why we think it's important. So feel free to take one of the start here things when we get this book. But I have a special surprise. The second, first service didn't get this. Uh, if anyone can name three Cure songs, they will get this copy free. Except my family. Put your hand up if you can name three Cure songs. Don't shout it out. Just three Cure songs, put your hand up. You guys are lame. Don't look at the internet. You can do it? You can't Google it. Okay, two Cure songs. Hand up. Yes. Love Cats and I'm Friday, I'm in love. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> They didn't play Love Cats, but they did play Friday I'm in Love. That was their big hit. Um, so the book, you can get, buy yourself a copy of that. And the last thing is to start a list. I don't know how many of you have a prayer list. They can get extensive and burdensome. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, I feel so guilty. Once again, duty, right? <laughs> oh, I can't, I forgot to read through my 60 million item prayer list today. I'm just gonna give you five items that as a church, we would invite us to pray about uh, regularly in terms of the kingdom of God here among us. The first is San Dimas High School. They're our neighbor. You know, we, we love those guys across there. We're trying to bless them. Uh, we don't want to be sneaky. We don't want to be bait and switch. We don't want to be, you know, um, we, wanna be, we want them to see Christ in us, <laughs> you know. So we're praying for them. We're praying how we can be that for them in terms of this wonderful facility we've been given and the time and resources we have. Uh, the second is Charter Oak Mobile Home Estates, which is that way. And uh, lots of units over there. We have a Bible study every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Uh, and about five or six ladies uh, regularly come. But we really want to bless that park. There, it's it's uh, um, 55 and over. 
We know there are some people who rarely ever leave their home and we want us to, we want to pray into how can we connect with these people? How can they find a family here? People that will stand by them, be there for them. A number of them use our pantry that we have uh, throughout the week. We want to connect. Pray for Lone Hill Middle School as well, middle school over there. Uh, we've just recently started connecting more with them. Uh, and then overall, pray for our ongoing mission. Just pray, say, God, what do you want us to do? Because I've said before, there's a day, churches often, we have the same things we do, and we're all in somewhat in competition. And I have this dream, this fantasy, these crazy thoughts, that maybe if we're all pressing into what God specifically wanted our congregation to do, it'd be more like a jigsaw, that all of these different churches would fit together doing that which God called them to do. And then we could collaborate such more effect, so much more effectively uh, than just competing for the same Christians, you know, and actually connect and reach the world with the good news about Jesus. And then the last thing is your part in it. I, I dare you. <laughs> Pray about this. God, what is my part in your kingdom work here through this fellowship? What is my part? And it will be unique to you, and it will fit well, and you will, be, you will find joy in that. So last thing, if you need prayer today, Please don't leave without coming forward. There will be people at the front of the platform uh, who'll be happy to pray with you. Um, so yeah, let's worship. Usually we have communion on the first Sunday of the month, but we're doing that next week. Um, so come back for that and let's